Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Piece Podcast, episode 292. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I'm joined this week by Bill Bailey. This was an incredibly exciting one to, to line up. Um, we recorded this a month or so ago when Bill was doing a few bits of press ahead of series two of In the Long Run, the series he's done with Idris Elba. Um, on Sky One, which comes out today, so you can check that out on Sky One and Now TV and all that kind of thing. And we talk about that, but we talk about a lot of things. We talk about his whole life, essentially. So it's really good to get a good chunk of time with Bill. I've not, I've not heard him on that many podcasts, so it was a cool one to, uh, yeah, to get to do. I was very excited. If this is your first time ch- tuning in, I would recommend. Let me think of other comedians. Obviously, there's been Dylan Moran but people like Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, uh, Stuart Lee, Richard Herring. Um, Let's think of more comedians. I can't think of... I've had hundreds of comedians on. Uh, Catherine Ryan's Sarah Pascoe on twice. Her her recent one this year is one of my favourite I've ever done. Gus Khan has been on, who worked with with Idris Elba on um, Turn Up Charlie on, on Netflix. So, yeah. Loads of good people to go and listen to. I'm going to keep this intro nice and brief and let you jump into the chat. Obviously, patreon.com slash pip is where you can get b- bonus episodes each month and poem of the month and previews of who's coming on. And speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where you can get all your winter merch. We've got scarves, we've got hoodies, we've got jackets, we've got umbrellas. We've got arguably the coolest gloves ever made. It's worth going over to speechfellowrecords.com just to test me and see if I'm exaggerating on claiming that these are the coolest gloves ever made. It's a weird claim. I'll I'll, I'll give you that. It's a weird claim because you don't... Before I said this, you probably couldn't think of the coolest gloves ever ever made. But once you'll see these, you'll go, oh, no, that's that's, that's the coolest gloves ever made. That's pretty fun. Um, Yeah, anyway, I'm going to go... Oh, um... Next week, I'm doing two episodes. So I've got Daisy Haggard on, who's the creator of an amazing series called Back to Life. She was in Manstroke Woman. She's absolutely amazing. So, so that's your regular full episode on Wednesday. But on on Monday, um, I'm doing a special with a charity I'm a patron of. It's called, it's called Stammer. Um, and it's the BSA, the British Stammering Association. Because Tuesday, the 22nd of October is National Stammer Awareness Day. Um, International Stammer Awareness Day, in fact. I'm going to be doing Q&As on stuff on their social media, but I recorded a special episode of the podcast talking to three different people who have stammers. So it's 20, 30-minute conversations with each person, and we're putting it together as one special episode. And it really is special to me, so I'd love it if you could listen to that. I'm going to be putting it out on the Monday, the day before International Stammer Awareness Day, to give that little bit of a heads up and give you time to uh, to listen. But yeah, it'd mean the world if you give that your time. Anyway, I will be back at the end to ramble a little more. This is episode 292 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Bill Bailey.
load of other stuff Anything. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's kind of start. Oh, obviously, I should introduce. I'm joined by Bill Bailey today. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah. Are you? Are you? Are you a morning person? That yes. got you up quite early to 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 get to start a long day of promo. Are yeah. You a morning guy? I am indeed. Yes. Um, I've become a morning guy. Never used to be when I was gigging um, back in the old days. <laughs> I. Uh, wasn't yeah. you know because we used to gig a lot and do the late nights and everything so but now um with the uh onset of the child when that he came around suddenly then the mornings were much more of a sort of uh, a priority and then I've just I I guess I've just I've really adjusted my whole life um pattern now so I like the mornings Wh- I actually like getting up and making coffee and yeah yeah, you know, all of the routines of the morning. I, th- I find it interesting how people's perceptions of the word early change, in particularly after they've had kids, because yeah. kind of in your gigging touring days, I know from my touring days, an early early s- s- set off is about ten. Yes, that's quite an early. Ooh. And but then once you've you've been had a normal life of getting up early, early might be s- six or seven. Again, yeah. if you've had kids. Early might be three or four, yeah. but it's genuine. Absolutely, so. that's right. Yes, yes, it's a very fluid term. <laughs> it really yeah. is. It used to be like uh, you know when we were playing at the Edinburgh Festival. You know, <clears throat> noon was like what we've got to be twelve. Yeah, you, you know, like we'd been out. You know, I did a gig and then with the band we'd play till four, and then we'd probably go off somewhere after. So yeah, so like you know, the day's gone really. Yeah, but, you know, as you say, things change, and now, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I like to. Uh, we usually get up. I mean, sometimes six thirty, seven, seven fifteen. That's a good sort of. That's an average. Get the thing. Everything's going. I like that. I like it's sort of. I just kind of think it's a great part of the day, and um, uh, yeah, I suppose that's just the. It's the way of all things of of, of growing up, yeah. of being a grown yeah, up, right? It. Yeah. Um, how do you find? promo and stuff like that because it's interesting because you're very much a creative and I want to talk about the difference between the freedom of of your own creativity and working to other people's scripts and schedules and so on and so forth but the kind of promo side of it a lot of people I would expect not to enjoy that side of it but you seem to be someone who's I mean, you're good at conversations and you seem to enjoy conversations. So yeah. do you kind of enjoy that kind of, let's talk about it. Yeah, let, I think let, so, yeah. Let's have um, a good chat. Very much so, yes. I think that um, it's, I see it and always have really as part of the whole process. You know, yeah. What's the point of going to the labours of making something if you don't want to then discuss it, talk yeah. about it and put it out there, you know, because there's, there's, there's a lot of work's gone into it, effort has been made, you know. Let's let's broadcast it, tell, tell everyone about it. And also an interesting thing I've, I've noticed over the years of uh, of doing many, many years of, of promo all around the world is that particularly um, when I'm talking about my own shows, it's that questions that, about the show actually make you question yourself and you think, yeah, what is this, what is it about? Yeah. That's a quite a perceptive question you've asked there. And very often the what the result is of that conversation is of a more of a, a, a sort of a better handle on what actually I'm trying to say or do yeah. because the questioner has winkled out some aspect of the show or has compared it to other shows and you start to see themes. Around. And 
I think it's quite a healthy process. I think that, you know, if you, as you know, if you're creative, you can go a little bit down the rabbit hole with it. Yeah. And you need to have an external voice. To, and that so often says, oh, this is how I perceive it. This is, this. you know, you, 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 know, you, you did this show, the orchestra. Why was that? You did this, you've got this thing. You have this sort of weird didactic, you know, you know this, this, this uh, desire to educate or something. And you start thinking, yeah, that's right. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, you, make, you keep up that dialogue. I think it's, it's healthy. I think it's a... Because criticism is always healthy, I think. You know, yeah. I think you can, you can inure yourself to it both good and bad, and I don't think that's healthy. I think yeah. conversation's good about art. It's a fluid thing, you know, like anything. You just, you know, you need to, to sort of to hold it up for scrutiny. Yeah, I, I love the identifying of patterns that are already there or things that you've been doing subconsciously that you may not have realised that that's why you're doing it, but of course you are. I, I, I've, I've been acting a few years now and I just recently started a specific no-acting course and it's all about mm. breaking down the kind of psychology of movement and stuff like that. Mm. And there's been so much stuff in that that's like, well, I already do that in a role, but I didn't know that's why. And now you look at it and go, of course that's why. That's mm. that's opening myself up. That's doing this and doing that. Yeah. And stuff like that can be f- fascinating. And I'd imagine that's the same in in conversations because the, the person asking the questions wasn't in the middle of it all and wasn't there every day on those early mornings and, and late evenings and... No in the editing suite and all that kind of thing where you're the kind of, you can't see the wood through the trees kind of thing. They get to step back and go, I look how lovely the woods are. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. this lovely? They see the finished product. Yeah. They see all the, 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 the fruits of all that labor and all that prep. Yeah. And they're not in the individual sort of moments along the way. So yeah, I, I, I think it's, yeah, it can be a healthy thing to do. How, how deep do you like to embed yourself in a project, so we're here uh, largely to, to, to talk about in the long run as series two. Yeah, this is you know obviously with your stand up and with your own shows, you've got n- no choice but to be a hundred percent in every aspect of it to mm. be buried in it. Sometimes the beauty of working on a project where you're part of a, 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 a whole team is that you can kind of be. I'm here to do my role, and then. I leave the rest to people. But then, you know, you can also be, I want to see the edits, I want to see the rushes and things like that. How involved do you like to get and how much do you like to do your thing and leave it to others to to mould and and create? Well, as a stand-up, you're involved, as you say, perhaps in in more ways, you know, than than anyone else because in in the in this sort of creative arts because everything about it is I has to come from me so like that I have to write it and perform it and yeah. kind of visualize it and sort of make editing choices and kind of the way it looks and everything but yeah being part of a collaborative process is different and and I I like it because it's very it's quite different the, the difference is one of the reasons that attracts me to it is because it is an ensemble work so it's not the pressure's not on me you have to do all the comedy it's all on you all i have to focus on is the performance and that's good i like that because that's a different that's a part of the comedy aspect that you know is just one part of it performance but this is focusing just on that on creating a a character 
and getting the most out of it, focusing on the performance, getting the modulation right, getting the acting bit of it right, you know, the hitting the right beats, the right notes, f- trying to sort of feel the scene, make it as plausible and natural as you can. But now, of course, I'm a comedian. I, you know, I love comedy, so... I can't help myself, you know. If you, yeah. you know, if like something yeah. occurs to you, to me, yeah. I just say, "Well, that might be fun." What about me? Do you know? So, you know, naturally, I just get more and more involved in it, and sort yeah. of get sort of, you know, um, and I'll make suggestions. And if people, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not there to because you know I'm there to sort of perform it and, and suggest ideas. But obviously, you know, having done comedy for many many years, you get a sort of sense of an instinct for it. You get a, yeah. you know, you sort of think, well. Here's an opportunity for a bit of funny or joke. And that's what I'm just drawn to all the time. Yeah, that would be funny. That would be good. That would be a good laugh. Why don't we try this? So, yes, I mean, I, I, I'm very much part of that ensemble. It's great to be part of a team that pressures off a little bit because I'm not involved in all aspects of it. But, yeah, of course, you know, in any comedy situation, you know, you start to see jokes and yeah. comedy and you want to sort of share it and be part of it. And actually, there's quite a bit of, um, in this particular series i did suggest a lot of ideas and things which ended up being in the show so yeah you know you f- i feel that's even more of a richer experience in a way because you sort of have a kind of investment in it and and there's a great sense of achievement and and i feel an immense accomplishment when you see other people who are taking on ideas comedy ideas and them working you know so you think yeah oh that's good it's kind of like that that is another sort of satisfying element of it. Yeah, and again, v- very different from uh, a, a, a life of here's my idea, how do I deliver it, how do I translate yeah. it onto stage, how do I make it me, to go, here's yeah. an idea, all right, it works in, in the whole, in, yeah. this, in the ensemble. That's right, yeah, and it is, it's very much like, a, you know, sometimes, you know, you think like, you know this, <laughs> I mean, it's a weird um, analogy, but I think you might get it. You know that, uh, have you ever seen that film District 9? Yes. Uh, you know those those um, the weapons are those they're like bioengineered weapons. Yeah, yeah. So they only work with the person who is holding the weapon. Yeah. But it's sometimes you you think perhaps some of my comedy's like that. Yeah. Only I can <laughs> yeah, do this. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, and if I hand it to you, you just it doesn't work. You yeah. Know? But so when you get that moment when you think, oh, actually, I've I've I maybe have learnt enough now that I I've seen. Like how comedy works, and it's yeah. more of a sort of I can see the universal side of comedy, or maybe it's a different kind of comedy. Like my comedy was very much personal; it was very sort of um, idiosyncratic, and and I just perhaps this won't work. But now you realise, I suppose maybe as you you learn more as an artist, you realise oh well, well these are more universal funny. This is more universal comedy. So yeah, I th- I think it's an interesting one. I think comedy and and spoken word share a lot in that you're putting all the pressure on yourself and mm. kind of in a good way, you're not giving yourself an excuse for if it fails. And you will know from being in bands as well that yeah. there'll be points that you're playing with people and you're like, this isn't working because the, dr- the drummer isn't here on time, isn't yeah. as into it as the rest of the band or the bassist is in four bands and yeah. doesn't want to f- focus on this. Whereas with comedy, if it fails, you know that you've done something wrong. If it succeeds, you know that you've done something right. Whereas... Yeah. There's, there must be a fear at first when you're handing stuff off because you're like, well, did that joke not work because 
I came up with a shit joke or did it not work because they're rubbish and they can't understand it and it yeah. needs to be channeled through me yes. and it's not it's not correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. It is you have to sort of let go of it a little bit, you know, and you have to it's a different process, I think, you know. Mm. But it's quite satisfying in a way. It's almost Completely. like you know, it's sort of you know, you're learning the craft again. Yeah. It's it's an amazing one. It's what I've enjoyed about the, f- the film and TV industry is I've re- it's made me realise that in everything else in my career I've been a complete control freak mm. and you can't be in this industry because it's so collaborative and so out of your hands yeah. it's kind of a beautiful thing at first it's jarring because you're like well I want to do 10 more t- takes of that I'm not happy with that but they've moved on because mm. it's part of the bigger project but yeah. in the end it's it's a, it's a really re- a great relief to work in that way and work with yeah with I other think so. creators, I think a lot of the best work that I've done has has been collaborative, and actually, there's there's something again a pattern there quite telling about that. Yeah, that, and I think that maybe we, as in life, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a lesson, isn't it? It's like yeah. you know, when when no man is an island, you know, we can't do it all on our own. It's actually quite useful, quite healthy to collaborate, bounce ideas off things, work with other people. Yeah. you know, it sort of brings out something that's maybe greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, and and I think there's a great logic in what you were saying, or, or a great logic in the fact that in this series there's been more points where you've s- s- suggested stuff and put stuff forward. Because the fact is you've had a season getting to know your character and only yeah. your character. Yeah. So the writers or directors or producers have got to be looking at everyone and there's a lot to take in. Whereas you, you, you've got to have that minute focus on on who your character is, so you're going to know them better than anyone else at this point. You know, on day one of series one, then the scriptwriter will probably know everyone best. But mm. after a series, you've really spent a bit of time with this character and really got to know yeah. his ins and outs. So yeah. it's logical that you're going to have. I think maybe this might work, or he might go this way or that way. And yeah, and if yeah. you if you're working with a team that are open to that collaboration, it's it's gold. It is. Yeah, that's where you can you can really um, do some great work. You know, when when you have that um, that support, that sort of that 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 network of people who are really up, you know uh, are open to that and actually encourage it. You know, because yeah. then that's really what you, everyone wants to to make it the the best thing you can make it. You know, yeah. you, want, you want to make the best program. Get the, so it's naturalistic and funny and. But plausible and and all those things that you know you want comedy to be, and uh, and very much so. You know, I, I mean, I've you know been involved in shows where we had that Black Books was a sitcom I was involved in, yeah. where we had a very a, a similar sort of thing. You know, great production, great creative team, everyone works together, and suggestions would always sort of encourage. You know, like in the rehearsal process, something would happen, you do something, improvise something, great. Well, you know, hold that thought. That might happen. That might work. We'll use that somewhere. All of that, and that's that's very much how I work as a as a comic, anyway. Yeah. So it sort of seems all of a piece, you know. How how does a show like in the long run feel different to? Because there's there's four sh- shows I've got noted that I think are four of the best comedy shows that have come out of the UK, and mm. and the ones that you're involved in for Black Books, for example, for a long time. But Fifteen Stories High, Spaced. Yeah. Brass Eye, I think a, a few of them are really underrated but amazing. But they were all kind of cult shows. And yeah. in the long run, 
I mean, it's Hollywood's Idris Elba. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 the right. world's Idris Elba. But I think the thing that makes me feel it's probably a similar process is it's his story. It's a story he wanted to tell. So it's not like it's. You know I mean, he's going to have that personal yeah, connection to it yeah. rather than it wasn't like it's a, a Hollywood. It's a big yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a big glossy sitcom. Yeah, and they think, oh, we need a star. You know, yes, yeah. yeah. Idris Elba's free. You know, yeah. this is. He it comes from him. It's he's, he, you know, it's his family. It's his story, yeah. and uh, so there is that sort of very warm kind of family authenticity to it because this is all is he's you know telling the story. He lived it, yeah. And uh, and I think it's quite. Uh, sometimes I get the sense that it's quite raw. You know, it's still quite raw for yeah. for him to, yeah. to because it's. All of these people were people he grew up with, you know. Yeah. He's playing his own father. I mean, that in itself is quite a, a, a sort of quite surreal in a way. Yeah, you completely. Know, because you know, and his, and his, um, and so there's characters in it which are based on characters' own family, things that happen drawn from his own life. So it has that. It has that very personal element to it, and. Uh, um, you know, I'm I, I'm sort of aware of that, and I think everyone's very sensitive to it because you know this isn't like just a, a sort of a concoction, you know, like a you know some sitcom that was made up, you know, in a, in a writer's room. Yeah. Let, let, let's just you know, like you know, we we arrange some funny ideas and get some stars in. This is all coming from his yeah. life. He lived it. You know, his parents they they came from Sierra Leone. They settled in the East End of London, and it was tough, and it was hard for them, and they encountered all the sort of problems that you could imagine. Imagine, and it was the eighties—a very sort of convulsive uh, time, um, difficult time. Uh, but you know, somehow, with with you know friendships and family connections and the strength of all that, they sort of got through it. And you know, he sort of he he managed. He's kind of trying to sort of distill some of that and put it in the show. Yeah. How how is it for you acting in it? Because it's an era that you lived through, but you lived through. From a different perspective, because you lived through it as as a child, yeah. and, and now you're playing in it as as a grown up. So, is there even though you're not, for example, playing your own father, is there an element of that? Because you're getting no. to see the world that you saw from so low down now, yeah. with all your life experiences, or, and putting that into a character and going, all right, here's here's maybe why Bill couldn't have done that as a child, or why he wasn't allowed out at this time, yeah. and things like that. That very much so. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know the the year. Is quite specific in it. It's like eighty five, nineteen eighty five, and when I first came to London was the year before nineteen eighty four, and I was just kind of like a teenager from the from the sticks. You know, yeah. I grew up in the West Country, so London was just this huge sort of you know wonderful, scary, mysterious, threatening. It kind of, but also extremely um, exciting place. Yeah, I mean. Despite the kind of the racial conflict that is touched upon at points in the series, yeah. L- London would also have been the first place that you saw that racial diversity, yeah. particularly all all of the the kind of the sticks in the UK in the seventies and eighties. You very saw white, white people. Yeah, yeah so right. the I, West Country is very white. Yeah, I, I always remember my dad when they moved out to Essex just before I was born. He grew up in South London. Yeah. He was getting the bus to work every day, and he was saying. As something's weird, and after a week or two, he came home to my mum and said, "I just realised everyone's white. Yeah. That's what was weird because because yeah. he'd grown up in South London where there yeah. was a great mixture, and again there will be conflict and 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 stuff like that. But there was that 
that diversity that that wasn't there even in Essex. So you go further out into the West Country and stuff like that. It's it's going to be a cultural change. Yes, very much so. And that was, uh, I, I think, really one of the things that struck me about the show was when I first read it, I thought, yeah, this actually captures a bit of that that buzz, that excitement, that kind of and the and also the strangeness of it that I felt as a young you know teenager from from growing up in you know in Somerset was listening to different accents different yeah. dialects seeing people of all different races different backgrounds colors traditions religions all just kind of getting on in London yeah. and this sort of energy that just almost like was this sort of a backbeat this this pulse of the place which drew draws you in and I very much sort of saw that in the first series and that's what really drew me to the show in the first instance yeah. Yeah. was listening to the the banter and also you know it's it doesn't shy away from the fact it was there was all kinds of racial tension there was like you know people had to deal with that and that was part of it and i guess you know that's it's one of the sort of one of the features of when you put a load of people together it's, it's yeah. not always going to be harmonious of course. but you know it was there was something about the energy of it the excitement of it and the the kind of um mystery mysteriousness of it you know like, yeah. and but it's intriguing as well you know you, you start to see people living different lives but you're you're in the same boat. You're all kind of you know thrown together in a yeah. situation where, and I guess that's really what I think Idris was alluding to in the title that you know, sort of like in the long run we're all you know in the same boat. We're yeah. sort of like, yeah. you know, we all have to get on. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's it's fascinating as well. I love the idea of a teenage Bill Bailey arriving in a London where they understand. Uh, Jamaican accents, Ghanaian accents, but yeah. probably struggle with a West Country accent because yeah. again, there's, there's, that's, that's going to be the one that they're kind of like. Yeah. So what are you What's saying? You talking? I don't know what are you talking about? Is it, <laughs> what, where, where are you from? Exactly. Yeah. What strange land are you from? But it's you know? it's, it's fascinating what you, you say there about the the kind of the melting pot of it all. I was chatting to Don Letts once, and I was saying yeah. that he's the man that brought reggae to. The white people, as such, yeah. he very much, and he kind of said, "Well, I need to correct you on that. I brought reggae to the white people who didn't live next door to black people." Yeah, he yeah, said, because yeah, yeah. at that point in London, yeah. that's what it was—a melting pot—and it's such a a show like this. Again, it's sad when things become unintentionally poignant, but where we yeah. are in the world at the moment, it seems we're as 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 fr- fractured as we've ever been, and yeah. it is weird to look back at the eighties when there was conflict, but then there was also a lot of people who hadn't been told that there should be conflict. So people would get on because they hadn't had years of the papers or yeah. the politicians saying, this Absolutely. is a problem or this is a threat or you're different. They were just like, oh, who's this guy? Cool, yeah. this is nice. Yeah. You know, it's, right. it's, 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 it's a strange timing on it all because it feels like, you said, in the long run, we're all in the same boat. In the long run, we seem to have started to throw people out of boats literally yeah. again. So yeah, it's, exactly. And it's, it's bizarre. Sort of, that is... I guess one of the, the the things about it, which is, I mean, it's a little bit depressing in a way. So mm-hmm. you didn't think it was going to be, you know, it, it, I don't think is, you know, the intention was ever for it to be as a, a commentary on our situation now. But it sort of, it kind of is yeah. because, you know, that 
I mean, like my neighbours, I live in West London. My neighbours are variously from Trinidad, Tobago, from Ghana, from Nigeria, from, you know, parts of Europe, Sweden, France, Denmark. And it just seems like the most entirely natural thing that yeah. that should be the case. But yet, you know, now we have rhetoric that's ramped up saying, oh, yeah, would you want to live next to these people, you know? And so yeah. this, the, you know, the, I always think that division like that is it just not a good fit for any of us. But it seems like that was something, that was a battle long ago that should have been yeah. fought and we moved on from. And yet, you know, yeah. still here we are now, probably, as you say, more, you know, in a, in a divided nation with people who are with, as you say, the media and the rhetoric that gets banded around is sort of, is as divisive. And so in a, in a, in a curious way, what I think this show does, it shows that actually it's a sort of almost a commentary on that now. You know, it was, I don't think the intention, whether it was, it was, you know, it's very much, I mean, it's a kind of warm sort of family comedy drama, but there is, there's, Definitely elements of it which yeah. are sort of, you know, inform and comment and actually reflect what's happening now. Yeah, it's the kind of, it's the beautiful thing of it being so based on so many of Idris's experiences and things like that is it becomes a commentary whether you want it to or not. Yeah. Because it's it's a snapshot of, of the past in, and, and yeah. that then makes it, right, well, this is actually, as we were saying before, the unintentional layers there, they're... They're, they're unavoidable in, in yeah. many places. Yeah, exactly. And w- one of the, and the other thing as well, that which is which is kind of intrinsic to the show, is the music. And the music yes. sort of informs the whole uh, the kind of era. You know, it re- reminds you of those things. It's, 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 it's unashamedly nostalgic in some ways. But again, this is another thing. The music sounds incredibly vital. It sounds sort of almost of now and I guess you know you would say yeah well of course because you know like if you look at musical trends they have a they tend to follow cycles yeah. and sort of tend to sort of like borrow from from trends of the past and sort of some of those have kind of started to resurface again certainly in the last few I've noticed anyway in, in you know in the last few years but yeah it feels like the music is uh, urgent it's it's very much it's uh, it's front and center some of it is Political. There's a lot yeah. of political stuff. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, the music that was very diverse. That's another thing I got. I've got to say, it's very different. Then there was a huge. The charts were so, were so almost bonkers. They yeah. Straight, like you'd have a, you know, like a, a disco and then a rock song and then a some big ballad and then there'd be like a political message and then there'd be like a sort of novelty record and then a footballer singing about you know what I mean it just, <laughs> yeah like completely yeah kind of, yeah you know crazy sort of mix of stuff but yeah I mean that's part of it as well that's a big part of the show so uh, gr- 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 growing up in the west country what was kind of en- a-, a career in entertainment a viable thing because it's an interesting one because I'd say uh, it wouldn't uh, to me I wouldn't think they'd necessarily think that a career in acting is an option or a career in comedy is an option but music potentially at that point in you know or again everyone always says a career I don't think you're thinking about a career as a kid you're going I want to make music so it kind of makes sense to me that music might have been the one that started to lead you along the path and then yeah. you started to go oh look there's other routes and other avenues was that the case or yeah. was there yeah very much so yeah because um you know w- all my years of sort of like uh, school when i was certainly 
as a teenager, uh, I'd listened to bands, went to see bands. Um, I was immersed in all kinds of, you know, all the different music styles at the time. And I was in bands where from the age of 15, you know, I, yeah. I sort of I joined a band and we toured and I played keyboards and we played all the local venues. And I thought that's what I was going to do. Yeah. And it was a kind of, it was the way out. It felt like that, that was, this is the... This is the escape from, yeah. you know, from from the West Country, you know, and maybe this is a route to other things. And uh, I mean, I used to think that, you know, my plan was I'd um, I wanted to be the keyboard player in Talking Heads, and uh, <laughs> and I didn't do anything about it, like contact them or anything. <laughs> I just thought if I just play keyboards in my house with the window what? open, some they'll probably be touring. Word will get out. You know, word will word go will out. Get- the word will go. <laughs> David, he'd be like. I've heard of this guy. There's this guy, <laughs> this young kid, and, we, and you know what I mean. Like, and then the, this big tour bus pull up outside. You get, get in, and you know, I sort of like you know, cartoon like grab the keyboard, run in, and then that was it. Bag already packed. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I recently actually, I um, I met David Byrne for the first time. Yeah. Well, I I thought I'd better not tell him that because I think it would just be too weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, when I, I looked it. at, him, I was thinking. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, well, you know, maybe I won't mention it, but yeah, that's what I thought. I thought, but maybe. again, it's the weird, it's the thing in a time pre internet, so yeah. so genuinely, you are putting things on a hope and a prayer at points. Yeah. You're like, you can, even if it's just a gig in my local hall and hope that someone hears someone or finds hears out about it, there's yeah. no real other options. You, no, you've no not options. got the kind of, I'll, I'll Google his address, yeah. So, so what am I going to do? Just write on a letter, the, the talking heads. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, England, the, England, yeah, <laughs> America, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was it. I mean, that was it. And, uh, and there was, I mean, there was, um, you know, at the time we had there was the Stranglers, who were kind of local band. Yeah. Um, Tears for Fears had sort of suddenly had some big hits. Then latterly, um, there was a sort of more that kind of massive, uh, uh, massive attack sort of feel. You yeah. know, you know the trip hop feel. There's Portishead. So there was a kind of a, a lot of very cr- sort of interesting sounds and styles that I grew up with. I actually um, played in a band, and then I thought that was it. I, once once we played in a band, I thought, that's it. That's, this is what I want to do yeah. forevermore. And then we, we got together a school band, and this sort of more professional outfit, and we recorded demos and management, da 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 And then I went to London, and then I sort of I, – I just happened to arrive at a time when there was a burgeoning comedy scene and I went to see, I mean, one of the first gigs I went to was up in Archway in North London. And it was, I mean, it just sounds like a sort of, it just sounds like some sitcom, but it was in a vegan anarchist collective, right? Because, you know, and of course it was. It was like some, you know, yeah. a commune, right? Yeah. And it was just exactly the sort of place where you imagine these things to happen, like an yeah. alternative comedy show. I mean, anyone hearing that now will just think, well, yeah, there's one of them on every corner these <laughs> yeah. days, but but at that point, it's going to be more unusual. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah. Well, you know, that's right, there's a chain of them, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, um, and uh, so anyway... We went along, and then there was a, there was a, there was all this stuff. There was like performance poetry and and stand up, and then there was um uh, John Hegley, who's yes. a, who's a you know, brilliant poet and performer, and he was standing there in a suit and glasses, and sort of reminded me a bit of David Byrne straight away. So immediately yeah. I was sort of like my antennae were twitching. Like, oh, this guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what's he got to say? And he was he was playing. Um, he had the um, the mandolin, 
And he did these sort of like these kind of punchy little punk poetry sort of bittersweet songs and then interspersed it with this very dry sort of, you know, kind of commentary. And it was almost like a light bulb going off. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is kind of what I want to do. This yeah. is, the, what is he, the, what, I want to do that. Yeah. You know, like, because this is more very personal. It's very personal because I already I was into comedy. I loved comedy and me and my mates would just sit around with a four track just recording any old rambling, you know, nonsense. And we did sketches and we perform in little pubs and clubs in Bath as alongside being in the band. So suddenly it was almost like a, a, a kind of light bulb moment, an epiphany of like, oh, right, you can combine these two. I mean, you've, you've invented something. podcasts there. Right. So, you know, that's you've invented podcasts that you were sitting around just rambling and talking yes, all this yeah. on the little four That's like, right. We well, didn't know what we were doing. Exactly. Yeah. There was nowhere to cast it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but except, you know, on cassettes that yeah. we would then play back to ourselves and go, yeah. oh, yeah. There yeah, that's go. funny. <laughs> and uh, and that was it. That was a kind of a moment where I thought, oh, yeah, actually, there's a there is a way to combine these two. Yeah, you know? yeah. I love that. And it's great that, um, I mean, Hegley, he's been around for so long that's yeah. just, I, 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 gigged, I, was, I was gigging with him once and um, my mum was in the crowd and he, he was he was headlining. I was I was his support and um, he's halfway through his set and he just says to my mum, are you, you enjoying it? She's like, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's like, What's your favourite bit so far? <laughs> just, just putting the pressure on, on the oh, yeah. audience. She was like, um, the song about gl- 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 glasses. I, I got gl- the gl- just, just the panic and, oh, no, and pressure. But yeah, yeah. he's wonderful in that yeah. way. So how was that kind of, was that an instant, right, well, comedy and music is is what's happening then? Yeah, I, I, I just think it was, it somehow, it kind of uh, illuminated a bit of that... The, the, what I wanted to do, and it brought it into sharp focus. Suddenly I realised, yes, you can combine the two. I had a vague notion of what you might be able to do, like sing songs and then do some stand-up, but it wasn't kind of, didn't feel quite right. And then I, when I saw Hegley doing stuff, I thought, yeah, because the music is integral to it. You know, the music mm. is given great respect. You know, he's not playing it, he's not sort of trying to, you know, play it badly. It's not a comedy instrument. He's playing it really well. It's like a, but it's like there's something else going on. There's sort of like a, it's tapping into some older uh, aspect of of um, performance. Like you know, a bit like you know the, if you go back to like the history of comedy of history of cabaret, they were little performances behind salons, and so there'd be like a sort of poetry reading, and then a musician, yeah. and then you go back even further, and there'd be like um, troubadours you know, and minstrels. And their job was literally to go round from town to town singing slightly bawdy and irreverent songs about people in authority. And I just think, this is goes back centuries. We're tapping into se- a, yeah. a centuries-old tradition, maybe a British tradition, maybe an old English folk tradition, but certainly some even like a global tradition. But certainly in this country, we have a, a, a very, very long a long history of this exact thing that he was doing. Yeah. And I just suddenly that kind of, that just that sort of, it was like, I think, you know what it is? I liken it very much to like when, you, when you're doing a gig, when you think of something, when you think of an idea or you've got a musical idea or a comedy idea and it connects with an audience, it's like gripping uh, a live wire. 
You know, yeah. you grip it for a bit and you suddenly just like, whoa, what was that? Like a shock goes through you. And then you let go of it and you go, whoa, what was that? And you hold it again. And that was what it was like. It was like suddenly sort of tapping into a current yeah. that I just thought, oh, this is this. I need some more of this. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, again, it makes me think as well. Um, the kind of the like Hegley's a great ex- example of this, but um, for some reason, it makes me think of, of Tommy Cooper. Who yeah. was a one who had to be an amazingly talented magician yeah. to play a really bad magician? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's similar on Hegley. And weirdly, an, another person who who comes to mind is Steve First, who's obviously yes. in in the long run, yeah. run as well. Who who a lot of his comedy he'll do as a bad club singer or whatever else. But yeah. really, he's an amazing musician and comedian and and yeah. and, and performer in general. So it's it's finding those ways to 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 bring the best out of both and not downplay either i guess yeah um so i worked in hmv from 2001 to about 2005 and that was the peak of the comedy dvd being the big christmas yeah. thing and you were on the crest of that wave with yeah. with with uh bewilderness and um and park troll yeah these were the two they were two of the ones that i remember being the kind of classic like you literally at that point you couldn't order enough like yeah. as many of these these comedy dvds as you got in they would go yeah how's it been kind of watching being in comedy pre-dvd i guess the the, the video f- f- market was big as well but being in comedy when you're doing it in the back of a vegan anarchist commune to yep. the kind of the 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 big push of this can go n- national and international through video or dvd to kind of both video and dvd the dying off and now we're looking at all the digital options wherever it be your netflix and your amazons or mm. you're going on tv and whatever mm. else how's that been kind of uh, existing through all of those iterations of what yeah g- getting the word out consists of sure yeah um well uh, you know in a way it's of uh this it's gone you know right through full circle you know when you start you know like you say there's no way of getting the word out you just have to do to show up yeah do shows people see it they like it they chat to people there's a bit of word of mouth and then it's the hope in the talking heads here of you again yeah and then we did that for a bit and then and then you maybe you know there was a time when we were performing uh, late eighties and there, there was a lot of um, you know TV cabaret type shows and yes. we used to get a slot on one of those and then you, you know, get that five minutes of that and then you might get on another show and somebody might see you and then you know you gradually build up a live following and then I I, I was I was in Edinburgh I did my solo show. And suddenly, I found myself. I got a deal, you know, like a, a, you know, with with as it was Polygram at the time, mm. and it was you know a video, <laughs> you know, like so. And, uh, and uh, then that quickly became DVD, and then gradually I went through that, and then to the point that, as you say, you know, they were big sellers, and now the, the DVD is uh, sales are kind of tailing right off. Uh, and it's all about streaming. It's all about, you know, how do you get your stuff out? Yeah. But in a way, I feel very fortunate, uh, and this is one of the things I'm, you know, I feel incredibly lucky with in terms of comedy, is that 
I've built up a sort of live following over the last, you know, few years, what, 20-odd years. And now, so now people come to the shows based on the the, the live yeah. reputation. Yeah. So I don't feel the same pressure that you would feel now if you were starting out. Like, how mm. do I get, how do I make myself look, you know, stick out in, in this crowded field. Or, or where, how do I get anointed? Because it feels yeah. like it's that these days. It's like you, you, yeah. you, you've been anointed as the next one, yeah. so you're going to be on these panel shows and therefore That's it. your career has been chosen. Yes, to exactly. Be- yeah, yeah, you'll be in all these things and then you're, you know, and it's how do you how do you sustain a career where if you're like, you know, if, you, if you're not selling these things, if you're not on shows and all that, how do you do it? And... Uh, I think that you know now. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to to to, to make shows. You know, I just yeah. I just the last show I did. It's very difficult to get it out and about. It's very difficult to sort of you know sell comedy shows you know to TV or for DVD even. You yeah. know, it's almost like you have to get the magic wand of the Netflix or the Amazon yeah. or whatever or any of these big streaming giants. Otherwise, you know. That's it, you know, your your stuff won't be seen. So it's really hard. It's really hard. And almost I feel in a kind of way, like I say, quite lucky that over the years of the you know, the long slog of yeah. of touring and building up a reputation, going overseas and playing overseas and all these kind of things, that now there is a live reputation. there's a live audience there yeah. that have always that have been growing gradually over the years. So it sort of has come full circle in a way. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating to have the the value in what you create fluctuates so much when the quality has not dropped. If anything is rising, yeah. yet as said, it's not only from a Netflix or whomever else point of view, from the public. Mm. The idea of paying nineteen ninety nine to watch a stand up set mm. that's been recorded that was normal. Ten yeah. years ago, that's what you paid for a DVD. Yep. Whereas now, well, I only pay eight quid for Netflix. I, I want to watch every stand-up special ever. It's like ever forever. It's, it's mad to think that the yeah yeah, it, it, and it's that weird thing of it being completely out, out of your control. It'd be it'd be different if it was r- reflective on what you were doing. But it's the the weirdness, and I, I've gone through it when I was in the music industry of starting off just at the point when people had buy CDs and vinyl. Yep. And by the end of doing m- m- music, it's like, well, hopefully they'll stream it and hopefully Spotify yeah. will throw some change our way. Yeah. Kind of, and, 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 and throw yeah. some change in the hat kind of thing. It's a it's a bizarre one how the arts has been the thing that's been disregarded in value, but yeah. live is the one thing that they can't f- fucking touch because you can't stream no. that, you can't... Exactly. Put that and on a seat. You've you, got to be there. You can't re- replicate that experience either. Yeah. It's it's a, a unique thing, and and if anything, one of the one of the sort of um, the things that I find most heartening about that is what is is in this, and and it's, there's no doubt it's a depressing climate in the arts because, as you say, there's no value put on it, monetary value. Yeah. How are you supposed to make a living? How are artists supposed to get their music out there? If you know how you're supposed to. Sort of, you know, sustain a career unless you're one of the anointed ones, unless you're one of some massive stars, like a winner takes all kind of thing. Yeah. But um, one of the great, one of the most, uh, as I say, it's, 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 you know, encouraging is that live uh, attendances are up. People want to go and see things, you yeah. know, like not just, you know, comedy, like bands, 
and you know festival attendances, but bands going to see bands live, going to see theatre shows, any kind of the performing arts. There's the numbers that just keep going up every yeah. year, and that surely is, I kind of think, almost a reflection, perhaps, or a, it, it informs a little bit about how we want to experience the arts generally. You know, like the whole thing about you know when you go online and you see a clip or you listen to some music. There's a button there that says share. Do you want to share it? Do you want to share this? Yeah. Share. Go and share that. Because that's what we are as humans. We want to be in a shared experience. Yeah. And pressing a button and sending it to someone, that's as close as they're ever going to get to like being in a massive crowd. Yeah. And everyone's there feeling, laughing at the same joke at the same moment, feeling the same moment, feeling the same kind of the energy that's coming from the stage. Nothing can replicate that. And, and, uh, you know, that's, I guess, why that's what's missing from this very personal, intimate, sort of quite solitary way that a lot of people listen to music, you know, yeah. through headphones, through a, through a phone or a, a computer or whatever. Yeah. And the, the, the opposite, that, well, not the opposite, but the, the corollary of that, the kind of the, the um, companion of that is the live experience, and that will never the, diminish in people's desires yeah I, I truly think that's one of the true shining lights of humanity because i think it's in spite of everything that society is trying to do the fact that we rate company or countries and nations on their g- g- gdp and, sh- and shit like this that it's all based on how financially well they're doing rather than how many people are depressed how many mm. people are struggling how many people are happy sad all these other things and the fact is the 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 boom in people swarming to be together to share joyous experiences yeah. that feels like it's it's running against all of the ways that we're told to judge our lives we're meant to rate our lives on how well we're doing financially how much money's in the bank how many cars we've got all yeah. these other things but the the desire to say fuck all of that i want to be in a room with these people and just enjoy yeah. some art yeah. that it's it's yeah it feels this is, that it's in spite of everything that's trying to push us in other directions and yes it's, it's it beautiful. is it is it's countering what the sort of what we're as you say it's a, it's the undercurrent of, of humanity of like desire to be to be with other people we're a very we're a very social species yeah. humans love to be with other humans yeah. you know that's we're sort of genetically predisposed to that we're not meant to be on our own we're not meant to be experiencing things on our own yeah you know it's it goes against this in it's counterintuitive and so when we that's i guess why there's this desire to be with other people to yeah. be to be part of something that's that's all we kind of part of us as humans is, is that we desire that to feel that we're belonging yeah and, and again it's exciting because it's it's again we're, we're living in a world that we like that science explains everything. Science can't explain the feeling of ten thousand people all singing the same song no. in a park at the same time. That, that like you can explain some of the stuff of the of the excitement of the the, the chemistry inside us, but you can't explain that connection when you're all harmonising at once. Even though n- none of you can sing a fucking note to save your lives, <laughs> yes, but so, yeah. there's that feeling and that emotion that. I'll watch bands I'm not even a fan of and I'll see the whole crowd singing and I'll well up. I'll have tears mm. in my eyes for Bon Jovi. I'll have tears in my eyes for Coldplay, just all sorts of stuff because it's, it's that, that coming together and, and unifying yeah. in those moments. It's, 
It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it so, sure is. I mean, we touched upon the ways or, or, or it being, you kind of said lucky or blessed, but the work you've put in means that when you tour, you've got this, this following, you've built up this reputation. Yeah. One of the ways that new comedians have these days to get their name out there is panel shows. And again, you were kind of, you kicked a lot of that off, never mind the buzzcocks. And again, it feels like a perfect storm because yeah. it was the combination of comedy and music. Yeah. And it happens to be when Bill Bailey's existing. So, so it kind of, it felt like the perfect j- job for you. And it was, it was must see TV at that time. Uh, when was, Mark Lamar and, 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 and even when Simon Amstel took over, it was, it was essential, right? How was that to be part of? Yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, brilliant fun. You know, we had the best times I think I've, I've probably had on television mm-hmm. doing those shows because there was no let up. There was a, in all these panel shows. There's a warm up guy who comes on yeah. and warms up the crowd, and then when there's a little gap in the recording, the warm up guy will come on and just keep the audience going. There was none of that. It, there was about five minutes at the beginning. And then it was just like headlong chaos for two hours, sometimes two and a half hours yeah. of just craziness and all manner of stuff that would never, ever make it into the show, the final show. Just ludicrous nonsense that we go up to. And Mark was just a kind of, you know, he, he had this like this manic energy that he channeled into this show and kept it up for the, the whole evening. So there was a kind of crackle of energy about the whole show. And the audience was like, they were just... They were like, we've never seen a show like this. Like, they, you could tell that, that this is, we're watching something that probably you know, we'll never see again on television. Yeah. We're seeing like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of dancing with Martha Reeves, you know, <laughs> like, and we're pretending to be in a jug band. And like, I'm blowing a jug and she's playing an imaginary bass and someone else is dancing. Like, what the hell? What is this? Yeah. And it did. It captured a, a moment. It was a real sort of like moment of of TV. Of some of it was proper anarchy that I just and really quite subversive. All of it was driven by love of music, and that, that's all it was. And all the, the sarcasm and the piss taking that went on was directed at the kind of fake sort of you know confected music yeah, that was yeah. around. And there was none of that that levelled at the real artists and the people that we loved and respected. There was just love for them, you know, and yeah. we just were there to sort of pay homage. But anyone who we got a sense for, like, you know, chances, yeah. you know, they just got it both barrels and that yeah. was all it was about. And, you know, there was something kind of joyous about it and uh, and it felt like, you know, we didn't quite know what would happen. I turn up there and you start, no idea what I'll be doing. You know, yeah. what will happen this week, yeah. you know? And that was a great it was great fun to be part of that. And in fact, one of the one of my sort of the, the moments where I realised it had more of a kind of a, a, a cultural impact than than uh, I'd imagined or or even could have you know even foreseen. And that was I um, I went along to the Ivor Novello Awards, right, right. and uh, and I got some a, a, some sort of song writing music award thing and anyway and I was just chatting to the people there and and they were all saying that you know what we love about Buzzcocks is that it it's like you are our voice you're what's saying look this is what's real about music this is what we love about it mm. this is what we hate about it there's a kind of it's not a critical voice it, I suppose it is it's a critical voice it's about saying celebrating what's great and really trying to sort of you know uh, cut through the bullshit in a way and sort of 
you know, like, this is what music's about. Yeah. And I didn't really see it in that way. I just thought we were having fun making yeah, a sort yeah. of music comedy show. But I guess there was a bit of that. Yeah. There was an element of that, you know. But um, again, it's, 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 it's the critical side of it, but it's through the lens of the focus being comedy. Yeah. It's not a critical side with the, the, the focus being let's tell them how shit they are and yeah. you know what I mean destroy that or, or break it down and say it's rubbish just going let's yeah. joke about it let's, let's make fun of it let's piss it. about let's yeah. not try and hurt anyone but no. let's 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 yeah let's rib let's yeah. let's have a, a mess about with yeah. it all. yes the the fakers and the chancers were mocked soundly yeah yeah <laughs> you know but 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 also the real legends were were sort of you know revered. So yeah. I guess that's that's was something about it that you know at the time we weren't aware of, but uh, it did it definitely had an impact. And there was a, there was moments on it where I just thought I don't know what the hell is going to happen now. Like people would walk <laughs> off, yeah. and you know, like we'd have these like this this guy from this Preston. This guy yep. walked off, and then I and I saw there was an empty chair, so I went in the audience and got some guy who looked a bit <laughs> like him classic. and put him into the. Into the seat, and again, I mean, I remember like yeah, quite a long time after that, reading an article in the it was like in the Observer or something. It was one of those like highbrow newspaper. It was saying it was like it was like a bit of more postmodern theatre. It was like an instant conferral of celebrity, yeah, and almost like the kind of the the, the transient and almost fickle and almost instant nature of celebrity. Like you know, yeah. somebody just take over an audience, ding, put on you're a next, show, yeah. straight, you're next. Was uh, yeah, they, they 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 were fun times. I, I look on them with very, great fondness. I love it. Well, I mean, there's a a nice link there as I start to round things up. But the one time we've met before briefly was when Phil Jupiter, who's from the same town as me and a mate one, he bought me with him to a QI taping. Oh yeah, that you were on. And QI, it feels like again, it's that beautiful thing of the perfect. I mean, we've talked a lot about the kind of the changes in growing up and the changes in going all the way back to the changes in the, the perception of the word early. Yeah. QI feels like the perfect place for that. I don't really want it as chaotic as it was in the buzzcock days now. I'm a bit more grown up, but QI yeah. is that place to go, we can still have some fun, we can still have a laugh, but there is that amazing intellect of Stephen and everyone else involved coming and that's, so how's that to be part of as a show yeah. and, and well, to that, sit in on again that was it was something which I, uh, and I, I'm, I have you know, hopefully will continue to do it um, yeah I saw it as a, diff, as a similar kind of uh, experience really because it was no prep you know that the thing about Buzzcocks was you had no vaguely know what we might be able to see or or who the guests might be, but that would change, you know, that would like change right at the last minute almost. And sometimes the panellists would, would bottle out, you know, they would bottle it. <laughs> like they would just like, they would be somebody yeah. and they would just think, no, I can't do it. And then they would just run out of the building and then you know, they sort of like the, the record company would there go, no, 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 you have to do it and plug your single room. But QI's, yeah, as I say, it's a bit more genteel than that. Yeah. And, uh, um, but yeah, I like the fact that there is a slight, there is that element of anarchy about it because it's we don't quite know what's going to happen. We don't know where the conversation will go, but it's it's informed again by by a love of knowledge and 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 uh, um, talking about it, you know, in respectfully in a, in a respectful way. So there's a bit of a more of a, a you know, as you say, it's but you know, there's an, an intellectual uh, grounding to it, which is which is great. Plus, I love the fact that 
people love knowledge. They love to know stuff. Yeah. You know, and that's, I guess, you know, when John Lloyd came up with the idea of it, you know, who, who sort of created the whole thing, it was about, you know, the idea of sitting around. People love sitting around going, hey, do you know the, uh, you know, the, the first... Uh, yeah, the sharing of the, knowledge, the sharing is, is, of the, knowledge. Is, the, is the exciting part. That's what we love to do. I, like, I, I always think how much of a buzz is it when it happens to go onto a topic that you've got a really interesting bit of information yeah. about. It's like, <gasps> I know this. I can yeah. talk about this. Let's yeah. have that conversation. Yeah. And I, I, I realised very early on doing it that the, the combination of people talking about different subjects, it unlocks the sort of parts of the brain and you find you know more than you thought you did. Yeah. And that, surely, that's a what a great thing that is. A beautiful thing. You know, you think, God, we all know more than we think we do. Yeah. And it just takes the... the the, the combinations of those conversations of something like a little sort of, you know, like a bit of a Rubik's Cube going on in your brain like that. If you take that and you turn about that and you take that and then, whoa, hang on. That makes sense. I don't, oh, I know all this stuff. I'd forgotten all this. I didn't even know I knew this. I so that's it. what I love about it. I love that and I just, and, um, you know, the kind of, the, the, com- the companionship, there's some good people on there and you get to, and, and you know, and then, one day, you know, I, I'm there I'm with Carrie Fisher, you know, so yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like madness, right? Yeah, madness. So, I mean, I'll wrap things up now, but I just want to touch quickly on, I mentioned Spaced earlier, but Spaced and Hot Fuzz are just two iconic bits of British TV and film. How, yeah. how were they to be part of? Particularly, I mean, even it's arguable that your part in Spaced has become part of culture now the 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 arguments about the different star star wars yeah. um theories about jar jar and all this it it, yeah. it was there as a kind of exaggerated pastiche and then it kind of became no that's how we remember it now yeah. that's, that, that's that's how it was at the time that's how people are yeah. you know, this whole forums of people just you know arguing over it it's um, what it's become right it's become the yeah. mainstream that was yeah. portrayed as a, 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 a counterculture thing sort of and now it's like oh no that's what everything is now it's we really hate this or we really love this yeah 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 no absolutely oh uh, yeah no you're totally right there and it's Oh, I mean, it was it was a, a, a great combination of of talents, you know, yeah. um, uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and Jess Hines and you know um, Jessica Stevenson as she was then. But you know, there was a sort of a, a, a brilliant combination of stuff, brilliant kind of writing combination with performance, and it was exciting. There was no doubt, you know, like. We were all of a sort of of that era, that intake. You know, when I did, I did a sketch show for the BBC, and and um, Edgar directed it, and Simon was in it. Oh, really? And uh, so we, we, yeah, we had a we had a blast doing that. And before that, um, Edgar directed a thing called Asylum that um, that Simon was in. And so there was a sort of there was that that sense of like, yeah, no, this is. I think what it was it was the a time when we were, and certainly you know. Simon and Edgar very much so and Nick as well very much getting hold of the culture and using it to sort of like throw it back you know almost like you know and as you say there was a time which preempt a show and a sort of style of writing which has like as you say spawned an entire generation really of of comedy and culture itself which is reflective on itself and you know of course now this is I guess I don't know when it was, but 
since then, the whole uh, social media has sort of almost enveloped that whole that uh, yeah. idea and yeah. turned it into it's like a you know an entire industry of yeah. of cultural commentary. So yeah, it was a great time. It's great, very exciting to be part of it. It's amazing. Well, I'll I'll wrap things up now by kind of asking. A w- a what's ahead? I was, I'm I'm always kind of curious if you've got any plans to to write or or or, or direct anything because obviously you, you you as you said you had your, your sketch show was one of the ways you kind of burst onto the scene and then obviously in things all sorts of things that you've acted in there's a level of yeah. you additional additional writing or whatever else to to extend things is that something yeah. that appeals to you or yeah is well your- very much so yeah I mean um I mean this you know I I just feel the need to constantly write and perform comedy so that will always be part of what i do yeah and so i mean i'm just about to in, do a little tour of europe you know um playing a lot of places all around northern europe scandinavia and so on and then i've got some shows in um actually out in 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 hong kong and wow. um and asia and so on so all of that is that's always going to be part of what I do. But what I love to do now is I like to write, and I'm writing stuff, writing shows. Um, I'm actually going to try and write a film where, based on ideas that came up in the show, Larks in Transit, because it's very much like that's my life in a way. Yeah. You know, traveling all the time, things that you know you realize that that come up from travel that inform the comedy. So. That's my next project. I'm actually going to be filming while I'm around the place. Amazing. Filming, like, recreating moments from ideas and gags that I've had in the show, but sort of acting them out, giving them a sort of context and a, and a, and a setting and a bit of drama and filming them all the way through Scandinavia, like in Iceland and places like that. That yeah. place just look completely sort of outside of a live performance context. So it's going to be a bit of fun. I, I love that. And that's a, f- a fascinating way to do it. I, I, one of my f- favourite films is a film called The Fall and it was really l- low budget, but it looks amazing. And the reason was the director was generally shooting adverts at that time. He was being yeah. employed to do a lot of adverts. And what he'd do is he'd get, like, a Jaguar advert that he's shooting in the desert, and he'd tell them he needs five days, and he'd shoot the advert in three days, then fly his actors out for two days <laughs> and shoot in the desert with this amazing camera and all these things. And he created this independent film that looks like the biggest blockbuster ever, and that's a similar thing. that If you're touring, yeah. you're, you're in these locations. Yeah. You're there anyway, I'm so that's right perfect there. to go, let's take the kit, let's get things prepared and yeah. and we can shoot this amazing looking thing. Yeah. I love that, that's genius. Well, yeah. that's, that's very exciting. Well, thank you very much for your time and obviously, yeah. in the long run, a, a Series 2 is out August 16th um, and it's all, all, all... October. October, August, October 16th. Sorry, yeah. my, my mistake there. And all episodes at once, um, all available on, on, on Sky. So, yeah. thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, thank you. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Bill Bailey. Thank you for uh, for tuning in. I think you can agree that was well well worth your time. I loved it. I got to go over to um, Sky's kind of planet. They've got like a village. I'd, I'd been to Sky a load of times for Soccer AM, but Soccer AM is right in the front bit, and I didn't realise there's this whole 
essentially a whole village in there. It's it's mind blowing. Um, I've not got any. I've not got much to to plug at the moment. I've told you about Speech of Element Records and um, all that kind of thing. I've seen some amazing f- films this year. So my Films of the Year podcast is going to be a really tough one. It always comes out in January, so I can get the year out of the way. It used to come out in December, but Brett Goldstein gave me stick. Like, well, there's still films out in December. How can you decide on your Films of the Year? Which he's right, so... All right, Brett. I'm going to give you all a quick rundown of the guests I've had on so far this this year, in case you've missed any, because I think this year is the best year I've ever had. Honestly, I'll make this quick, but I think there's some amazing guests. And there's been some hugely listened to ones, but there's also been a few, I think, that are huge and overlooked. So here we go. I've had Eddie Marson, Mark Miller, the creator of Kick-Ass and numerous different amazing comic books. Um, Adam McKay, whose whose series Succession is blowing my mind at the moment, and everyone's mind. It's winning all the awards. But um, he's also behind um, Vice and The Big Short, and loads of Will Ferrell films. Um, Richard E. Grant, how can you resist that? Joel Egerton, amazing. Mary J. Blige, actual legend. Joe Cornish, also actual legend. Lolly Adafope, legend. I have to say a legend for all of them now, but it's going to be offensive. Stephen Merchant, legend. Stephen Knight, legend. PC Leon McLeod, actual proper legend. Forget all the rest. I'm ending on him on the legend front. Jonah Harry, um, or Johan Harry, sorry. As you can hear, I'm a bit blocked up and bunged up, so apologies if this is unpleasant listening. Winston Duke. Uh, Jade Adams, Jamie East, Ron Perlman, Zowie Ashton, Nish Kumar, Ed Gamble, Tim Clare, um, an Emmy Awareness special with Jason Reed, Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim, a.k.a. Father of Woody, hashtag Team Woody, Dexter Fletcher, Joe Hartley, Nick Helm, me and Stu Whiffin talking about MMA and the Gregs, Mark Grist and Ross Sutherland, Jed Mercurio, creator of Line of Duty and Bodyguard, Charlie Brooker, Danny Boyle, Inuit Ellums, Connie Huck, Greg Jenner, Carrie Ann Lloyd, Matt Richards, Sarah Pascoe, me and Stu Whiffin and Adam Richardson having a little chat, Joe Gilgan, Serge Pizzorno, Tez Ilias, Frank Turner returned, Kano came on, Louis Theroux came on, Jack Sexsmith dropped some huge controversy, <laughs> and Ricky Wilson. Um, on last week of the Kaiser Chiefs. So there you go. It's been a good year. So go and catch up on any you've missed. Um, I'll leave you leave you there. Obviously, as ever, Pod Bible Podcast and Pod Bible Magazine are two things I'd love you to check out and jump on the on, on the the socials. The podcast is just twenty minutes long. It's worth a listen every Monday. I'll leave you there, and I will see you all next week. Oh, who've I got on next week? I've not told you yet. Yeah, ever? Let me go and have a little look on my list. Um, oh, I've got a special, I've got two next week, and one is really important. This is what I should have told you about. Um, in fact, it's so important, I'm going to do that thing where I get Buddy to cut this and put it in the intro as well. Um, I'm going to pause and then start, so he's got a good starting point. Oh, um, next week I'm doing two episodes. So I've got Daisy Haggard on, who's the creator of an amazing series called back to life she was in manstroke woman she's absolutely amazing so, so that's your regular full episode on wednesday but on on monday um i'm doing a special with a charity i'm a patron of it's called uh, it's called stammer 
um, and it's the BSA, the British Stammering Association, because Tuesday the 22nd of October is National Stammer Awareness Day, um, International Stammer Awareness Day, in fact. I'm going to be doing Q&As on stuff on their social media, but I recorded a special episode of the podcast talking to three different people who have stammers. So it's 20, 30-minute conversations with each person, and we're putting it together as one special episode, and it really is special to me, so I'd love it if you could listen to that. I'm going to be putting it out on the Monday, the day before International Stammer Awareness Day, to give that little bit of a heads up and give you time to to listen but yeah it'd mean the world if you give that your time anyway see that was my edit point for buddy to go to to slip that in the intro um anyway yeah that one genuinely that 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 means the world to me um yeah you'll hear a lot next week and it's a very emotional one some of the people it's three of the best conversations i've had and obviously they're going to mean more to me because i've got a stammer and i've not really had conversations in this way with fellow stammerers i guess so yeah it's a big one so i'd i'd really appreciate your ears for that and your sharing and all that kind of thing anyway i'm gonna stop rambling thank you for tuning in guys and i will see you next week with a special on monday and then the, the, the daisy haggard who's arguably even more special in a good way on wednesday see you later ta-ta